0: Back to another edition of Boilers Extra. I'm gonna get right to it because I know what everyone has come here to talk about today—the uh, big Big Ten ACC swimming meet <laughs> over the weekend at the Morgan J. Burke Athletic Center. Any any hot takes on that, Mike Carmen?
1: Uh, I I think Purdue did well in that based on they did. some of the headlines. I read. I mean that's uh, I guess that's a neat event for Purdue to host and you know get the cement pond up and rolling and uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean that I. You know, I have I have I have no hot sarcastic hot takes about Purdue swimming because they actually go out well Purdue diving they actually go out and win national championships they do yeah <laughs> they do and I'm and not picking had, on and,
0: I'm not well, picking on swimming either is, but it's it's one of the many things that was overshadowed this weekend by things that weren't even happening in this <laughs> state yet still affect Purdue football obviously right. uh, the firing of Bobby Petrino at Louisville and the at this point. Speculative ramifications of what that could mean for Purdue football, and Jeff Brom, who is a former Louisville quarterback and grew up there, and is part of the kind of first family of Louisville athletics. If you, depending on who you ask down there, and um, so it just I mean, you as someone who covers the team, how are you looking at this as how this sort of shapes? The narrative around the team here, even though we're almost at the end of the season, but really for the next couple of weeks, it's going to be hard to separate, I think, this storyline from what's happening on the field.
1: No, you can't.
0: Um, And, you know, Jeff had a chance to shut it down yesterday and elected not
1: to. Um, Part of it is I think he likes the attention that comes with these things, which, uh, you know, last year when he he got involved in the Tennessee situation, he said that really – helped recruiting, got his name out there, got Purdue's name out there, type of thing. At first, I'm like, is this dude crazy? <laughs> Which I, you know, he is at a certain level, but not crazy in this regard. But then the more you th- you think about it, you know, there's probably some some merit to that last year where getting your name tied to Tennessee makes recruits and their families maybe just google your name to, f- to see who you are, what you're doing at Purdue. Mm-hmm and then the more you the more you read about what they did last year maybe that was intriguing it would be nice to know if there was a direct correlation they they got a commitment because Jeff Brom's name was mentioned with Tennessee
0: yeah i would think that that's something that would have affected not 2019 yeah. recruiting as much as farther down the line
1: yeah maybe maybe some 2019 but you know it didn't impact George Carloftis correct right. <laughs> we'll limit, we'll push him off to the side there right but yeah, some future stuff. And now, his name's connected with Louisville, and rightfully so. Uh, I, I don't know if that carries the same kind of weight that being connected with Tennessee does. I mean, Louisville's a good, you know, has been a good program in the past. They've they've been on the verge of playing in the college football playoff. Uh, they've been in some big time bowls. They you know had a Heisman Trophy winner here recently. I mean, it's not a bottom of the rung program overall even though this year is a complete hot mess of Mm -hmm. bad that they're that they're going through Um, but yeah Jeff I think Jeff kind of likes that attention I don't this is not a situation where he's keeping it alive for the attention standpoint
0: right yeah just to make (laughs) sure you're not saying that he likes um, dragging this out and kind of raking (laughs) Purdue fans souls (laughs) through the coals no
1: but I mean here's here's a couple bottom lines number one Louisville should target Jeff Brom as as its top choice. That's clear. And Jeff Brom should listen to what Louisville has to say. It's his hometown. It's where he's from. You know, you mentioned how big they are in the community. The Brom family name, they are big-time fabrics in that community. They are revered. Uh, Not only what they... You know, they've done at the high school level with Oscar being a coach at Trinity for a long time and Jeff playing at Trinity, Brian playing at Trinity, Greg playing at Trinity, uh, and them playing at Louisville, um, and just what they've meant to the city from an athletic standpoint. You know, Jeff should hear what they have to say and then, then go from there. The other bottom line in this to me is Jeff Brom wants to win. So to me, it's pretty cut and dry. Where does he feel he can win big at, Purdue or Louisville? And I, he's a guy that's about winning. He came to Purdue to win. He came to Purdue because it was a challenge, a challenge for him to win. A lot of people told him not to take the Purdue job because it was a dead-end job. It wasn't, you know, it's not something he should have gotten involved in. But I think the more people, the more people told him not to take it, he became more intrigued and therefore he took the job because hmm, let's see if I can go win at Purdue when a lot of people haven't won at Purdue. So I think he's really about winning. When he says yeah, I want to win, I I think you believe him. And you know, I, I think that's what is I think that's what eventually it's going to boil down to. There there's always going to be financial stuff that factors into this into this and you know, what you know, who can he bring with him and you know, all those other things that that all get ironed out, but I think when Jeff Brom steps back and it starts evaluating both Purdue and Louisville, it's going to be okay. Where can I win? And as of this moment, I think Purdue is a better place for him to win right now. They are 12 and 11 in, in his 23 games, which is it's over 500. So technically it's winning, but I, I do think that they could, they could win a championship here. Probably more than one if he sticks here the, the long term. So, to me, that's kind of where I see things right now. As we initially get into this, into this whole thing,
0: I know there are probably Purdue fans who wanted him to come to that press conference on Monday and say unequivocally, "I'm will never talk to Louisville about this job. I am not interested. I am I'm definitely going to be at Purdue next year." That was an unrealistic expectation. That's he just owes it to himself. He owes it to his family. Um, does he owe Purdue professional courtesy? Absolutely, he does, and I think he's extending that. I don't think much like what happened when Purdue was trying to get him away from Western Kentucky. I think there's. I sincerely think that he's not going to engage with Louisville until after Purdue's season is over. Certainly, at least until the regular season is over, and, and who knows what could happen after that. Purdue right now isn't assured of having anything beyond a regular season uh, with two games to go. Um, and I also think, you know, if if I were appealing to Jeff Brom here and I'm not because I emotionally I'm not I don't care which where he goes really obviously but if, if I were making the appeal to him and it's the appeal that I not just to Jeff Brom but the appeal that I would have made to Brad Stevens or the appeal that I would make to anybody who is at a place that is regarded as sort of a stepping stone place or is thought of as being the place where you can't have this great success which I think is 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 the wrong way to look at Purdue, and, and was even after coming out of the Daryl Hazel thing. But anyway, any any coach in that situation, my my appeal kind of always is, where can you? I mean, Here is where you can be something more than you could probably still ever even be at Louisville because th- th- this place will revere someone who has the kind of success that I mean. Look at you know Joe Tiller; they went to one Rose Bowl. And they were, I mean, they had great success here, but I'm saying he didn't have to win a national championship to be kind of this, you know, revered guy. Gene Cady never went to a Final Four, but yet he's still, you know, a beloved guy here. And you see the kind of success that Jeff Brown could have here and the kind of success that he talked about wanting to have here when he took this job. If he were to take another job, whether it's Louisville or whatever, he can't right now, he can't say that he finished the job. He came here to do well. He's not not even really starting right. it it's, in it's some exactly. way because
1: they haven't won anything other than a bowl game, right? And they, they had a seven win season. With they're undefeated in their trophy games. Okay,
0: but <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? It's like no, it's, I he, agree with you. I mean, you, this you'd is, have to yeah. walk. would be walking away without having finished a job. Now, on the other hand, I, I agree with what you were saying about um, you know the, the challenge of Purdue was one of the things that brought him here. You know, people saying you shouldn't do that. That kind of made him think. But that's that also makes me think that all of the things that would potentially dissuade him from taking the Louisville job could have kind of the opposite effect too you know it's a it's a dumpster fire right now nobody can win there right now oh yeah you want to bet or um, you know it, it's got this you know everybody every coach that comes through there leaves a trail of slime behind them like a slug and you can say well I, oh, okay but here's you can go there and win clean here let me show you I mean I think there the things that would potentially um, make someone else shy away from a job that might not be the kind of things that would dissuade him from taking a job, because I think he 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 sees challenges that he wants to break through. It doesn't, you know, within, within reason, he isn't going to go, you know, obviously if there were like a bunch of NCAA sanctions or something coming, that would make him shy away. But just the, the optics of something, I don't think are going to bother no, him. No, 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 it's not. And
1: you're right. I mean, Louisville program, at least this year is in a bad spot. It hasn't been in a bad spot for 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 a long period of time right I mean, this is, this is a this is a bad season and there are probably some down there that didn't feel like Petrino should be fired based on just this one season but taking account into everything that has happened there but yeah I mean Jeff could look at the same Louisville the same way that he was looking at Purdue yeah I mean they're they need help it's a challenge uh you know and you factor in all the hometown stuff then yeah, he can go down there and be revered and be a hero and get a statue. I mean, he he can do all those things that he 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 could do at Purdue as well, uh,
0: maybe. But there's also a lot more pressure being the hometown guy. There too, is sometimes.
1: Uh there there is, but he I, I don't he
0: doesn't seem like a guy that would back away from that. Right, he never has in his playing career. <laughs> but but I also I guess pressure is not the right word. But the the expectations that he had when you came to Purdue were. Eventually, this guy can maybe build this into something. Whereas, I think at Louisville, the expectations would be, here comes the savior to fix this. Well,
1: when you combine what's happened the first two years at Purdue. Exactly. That um, they, they, they're going to expect the same thing. They're going to expect the quick turnaround that they had last year at Purdue. They're going to expect being right. the second-ranked team in the country at home and beating ranked teams at home. Right. When you have because
0: to, people overlook the fact you just <laughs> lost forty-one to ten at Minnesota. Well, this uh,
1: why would Louisville want a coach that lost to Eastern Michigan and Minnesota in the same season? Yeah, really? Come on, <laughs> well, didn't just, didn't just lose to Minnesota? The, the boat got, got rowed. Well, even on the ice and the snow, it got it got <laughs> skimmed across. Uh, but yeah, that you take them both. But there's there's bigger hills to climb in the ACC than there is in the Big Ten. I mean, the West is ripe for a program like Purdue to really elevate itself and be a player every year in it. You know, Wisconsin's coming down and Iowa's. you know, we've talked about this before where everybody kind of stands in the West right now. And, you know, Nebraska's going to get back, not to the level it was when it was winning three championships in four years, but it's going to get back to a competitive level. And we, we've seen some of that in the second half of the season, some of it based on the schedule, who they're playing yeah. and, and all that. but, you know Purdue can be a player in the West under this current situation, and you know this is for farther down the line, but even if Jeff does leave, I think the confidence in Purdue to go out and hire someone, not a clone of Jeff Brom, but a quality offensive guy to keep this thing rolling, people now know the support is here, they know what's going on, and it, it just and I'm not I'm not banging the big drum of Purdue or anything like that. But this this can be a destination job if you if you elect for it to be. And things that have been put in place over the last two or three years make it a destination job. And the national media won't recognize it or won't admit to it because Purdue's a nice punching bag, right? For, for those people,
0: there's a very lazy narrative out there still right. about Purdue, right. um, as if people as if writers and TV people haven't done a bunch of pieces about this giant performance complex <laughs> about all the, I mean, it's all the evidence is there. It's, it's, it, no, it's just a really lazy narrative. Now I'm not saying that Purdue is, is Michigan and Ohio state, no, no, no. but it's also not a Mac team. It's, 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 it's elevated. Nobody, yeah. itself.
1: Even though they lost to a Mac team, they're not a Mac okay, team. Right. <laughs> right.
0: And <laughs> but, well, that's the point. That's why losing to the Mac hey. team uh, it, it looks the way it does. And you know, two years ago when this all went down, Purdue had to go out, you know, Mike Babinski and, and um, Berghoff and, and Daniels had to go sell this program to potential coaches in a way they won't have to. They had, to, they had to sell it to Jeff on that Sunday night. Absolutely. At the in Daniel's
1: house on the Amish Cherry table. That was in his house. I mean, they had to get on the phone with him. All three of the power brokers at Purdue had to get on the phone and really – Sell him, and Mitch what took the lead in that, and sold Jeff to say, we you know Purdue is committed to fielding a championship level football program. Here are the things that are in place here are you know here's what we're prepared to do financially, here's the things that you've told us that you need from a support standpoint, and they sold Jeff on that, and they they and Mitch is really good at that. I mean, he's just not in athletics but across the board on making sure that people understand where where he stands on this and Mitch had has had to be been brought to this level as well it's not something when he came to Purdue that he wanted really to jump in the deep end and in his mind he's probably in the deep end but there's probably more that they can do uh, if, if they need to but yeah this whole Purdue can be a destination job it in based on where it's at. Now, in, in in eight years, when TV contracts are up and we get more conference expansion or who knows what the landscape's going to look like, Purdue could be shoved in the east. It could be shoved, you know, who knows. Right. And then it's not a as an appealing job as it is, it is right now, but for now it is. It, it is an appealing job, uh, and it's one where you can, you can make a long career at.
0: Let's also not discount the draw or the 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 hesitance someone like Jeff Brown might have of having to go in and tell Mitch Daniels um who <laughs> who is an influential guy and who has shown this who has helped put this um trust in you and in back to you this way I, I think those things matter and not not in an intimidation way but in a I think there probably will be there is some legitimate loyalty here that that Jeff Brown's probably gonna feel um, not just about to his players into finishing the the task that he's begun here but also um, just to the institution, I guess, in a way, and to the, to the, to, from a business standpoint, just, or the, the relationship standpoint, the people that, that put this kind of trust in him. Um, well, it's interesting. I tried to ask him a question yesterday, just the connection
1: in just the short time he and his family have with the university and the community because you know, you look after the Ohio state game and mm-hmm. he's standing in the middle of the field. Yes. He was there. He was told to go there for an interview. But he's standing in the middle of the field and he's surrounded by all these fans that are patting him on the back mm-hmm. and just in, in just whatever heaven that they're in. Uh, and he's, he's standing there smiling. Same thing after the Iowa game, even though the rush wasn't quite, quite as great as the Ohio State game. He's standing out in the middle of the field. People are surrounding him, patting him on the back and all that kind of thing. And, but I, 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 I firmly believe there's, a, there's a, an emotional connection or a bond that has been created or is being created between Brahm his family and uh, the Purdue fan base and the Purdue the Purdue community and you know I tried to ask that question and in, in that way and he's like well, I see I see what you're doing there type of thing <laughs> and it was just more like okay you know but part of it is emotional part of it is sure. you, you've you've developed some ties here
0: uh, but the a, whole point is those ties, go both ways in this they particular do. equation. They
1: do and you and when he's making this decision, he's going to have to remove the emotion on both on both ends too. Right, right. Because he, he has emotional ties in Louisville as well as here. So he you know, I think a lot of things are are going to go through his mind and um uh, and he's going to get a lot of advice, some of it solicited, some of it not, <laughs> that you know what, what he should do and and you know, that's this kind of, you know, that's that's kind of where
0: things that he has to work through right now. And I, I, there's a certain extent to which I don't want to to be trying to get in Jeff Brom's head. And and because as much as we all want to think that we know how he might think about these things, we really don't. And even when he talks about them publicly, as as any individual does, there's certain things that they say and certain things they don't say. And we, we can try to parse it. One thing I know that Jeff Brom does want to do, though is win Saturday's football game against Wisconsin and win the following football game against Indiana and go to a bowl game and win that too. And as you, as we said at the start of this, it's going to be impossible really to divorce this conversation from the fact that this football team still has games to play. And that to me seems to be, it's probably going to be one of the toughest jobs he's had as a coach here and his whole staff to keep this team focused over the next two weeks and not let this be a distraction, um, it either, either distraction. within the locker room or
1: it is a distraction. It just is. I mean, cause he, he said he didn't address it with his players Sunday night. Um, you can agree or disagree with that. Uh, you know, part of it is, you know, they do, they need Jeff Brom to tell him, tell them, you know, what, what he's thinking at that point. I mean, right. they know it's out there. They, all of them are on social media. All of them are on the internet. They know what's out there. But this is a big-time distraction, and I don't think there's any – you can't hide from it. You can't ignore the fact – I mean, he, he says that it won't be a distraction because they've been through it before. He's been through it before with Western Kentucky and then last year. Well, if you look at last year, yeah, it, it, was ab- at no, it was after the regular season. was over. Even though his name had started to float out there with the Tennessee job, it didn't become serious until after they had won the bucket game, and you mm-hmm. had that that uh, that week there where you know crazy Tennessee fans were picking their own coach, right, and right. running off coaches, right. Uh, but that that didn't af- that had no bearing on the bowl game, and it had no bearing on the regular season. Um, you know, the Western Kentucky thing probably was at a much different level
0: than what what is what will be going on now it's a different level of media attention and it's also a place where they probably in the back of their mind always thought matter of time right and everybody knew it was a matter of time now here and
1: you're you're really in a tough spot because as you mentioned trying to get bo eligible trying to win the trying to finish second in the west after that zero and three start and you're trying to get to a better bowl game than you did last year. You're I'm trying, trying to f- have a better record.
0: Trying to finish off a, a recruiting class too, right? For 2019, a lot of which uh, some key guys from that class happen to be from the city of Louisville,
1: right? So he he does have a tough job ahead of him, and he has to get, because if they come out, you know, if they come out and lose, you can't, just can't say well they were distracted. It, it's it's going to be based how they play, and. You also have to factor in that Wisconsin, although not having a typical Wisconsin year, they have owned. I mean, they have owned. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have owned Purdue. I mean, in so many ways. I believe Purdue has not totaled 300 yards of offense in a game against Wisconsin since about 2010. Just think about that yeah. for a second.
0: Well, it's been what? <laughs> 15 years since Purdue was favored in a game against. 2004, which is a bad memory for Purdue fans. (laughs) All right, that was your high point of
1: this (laughs) rivalry recently. Yeah, that's the last time Purdue was favored against Wisconsin. And now, you know, they've lost 12 in a row. You know, last year's game was an eight point game, but really Purdue didn't score a touchdown. Uh, Barely got in a position to score a touchdown. And the one time they got in a position to score a touchdown, uh, Race Johnson injured himself (laughs) so uh they haven't been they really haven't been close but this is a year i think they that they can beat them and they they have an opportunity to beat them uh but you got to make you know you can't have you can't lay the egg you laid last week and and i i firmly believe that that's a one-time event because we hadn't seen it coming uh there was no no really signs pointing that they would get beat the way they did and you know the loss of jacob thenaman hurt but um that's something that they, they have to overcome. But even if you lose this weekend to Wisconsin, then you're going into the bucket game in the same situation that you were last year. But last year you would have had momentum because you would be coming off the win against Iowa. And now uh, if you come off a loss against Wisconsin and you're trying to get your team ready to, to win the bucket game and the Louisville thing is still hanging over this program's head, it's going to be. It, this is going to be two weeks that's going to be challenging to Jeff Brom and the staff and these players to to get focused and to win a game that they need to win. Because the last thing – because if you lose these last two games, regardless of how you look and all that, the nar- part of the narrative is going to be that this whole thing was a distraction and it, it, it killed Purdue's season
0: as far as getting to a bowl game. So let's talk about Wisconsin because – Purdue has to. In addition, even if this stuff wasn't going on, I
1: want to mention one other thing okay, about the Brom thing, and because you mentioned the recruiting class, and I, again, we're all reading tea leaves along with tweets, mm-hmm. uh, and you look at the way Jeff is recruiting right now. This is not a a campaign to say one way or the other what he's going to do, but you look at how he's recruiting right now. On Friday, he got a commitment from a receiver in Louisville, a four-star receiver, a legitimate bonafide playmaking receiver. So what did Jeff Brom tell Milton Wright and his family and his high school coach about this whole situation? Because we were all probably a little surprised that Louisville fired Bobby Petrino on Sunday. We probably knew it was coming at some point, Mm -hmm. but on Sunday probably a little surprise. I guarantee you Jeff Brom knew this was going down because of his connections in Louisville. So what did he tell Milton Wright about his situation? And what did Milton Wright hear about? Did he
0: hear what he wanted to hear, or did he? <laughs> well, the same thing was happening last year. At the same time that he was supposedly having these dalliances with Tennessee, he was out. Well, but that was different because he was actually visiting
1: kids that have already been committed to him. Right, right. But this, I mean, this is bringing- if, if, if Jeff Braum is seriously thinking about going anywhere, let alone Louisville, why does he take a commitment from a Louisville kid?
0: Well, I, I see what you're saying, and that, that that that's a valid point. It does sometimes bring you back to the question of, are these players committing to a school, or are they committing to a coach or a staff or whatever? Well, I think
1: a lot of lot – you're not supposed to commit to a coach, but a lot of these guys in this 2019 class are – right. co- George Koloftis is one of them. He's he loves Jeff Brom, he loves Nick Holt. And if those two guys go away, I think George is probably going to explore other options. Now, there are people around George that won't want him to explore other options. Right. But to me, that was it was and you're still involved with David Bell at Warren Central. And I'm telling you, if, if if Jeff Brom goes to Louisville, I don't think David Bell is going to go to Louisville. Now Milton Wright would probably go to Louisville right. with Jeff Brom. Right. But I don't believe, you know, because Louisville has not been part of David Bell's schools from the from the beginning. Right. So you just – you look at the way that he's recruiting and you just, you know, you just kind of take a step back. It's like, why would he take a commitment from this kid, from this player, if he was going to leave? And, I, you know, he may end up going to Louisville. I, I don't know, but it's just – to me, it just kind of strikes me that that, that happened with the time. You know, everything in, everything in life is about timing. And this, the timing of this all just, for a lot of reasons, doesn't. it adds up in one area, but it doesn't add up in another area.
0: Yeah. On a, on a scale of like one to five, that would have about a three in influence for me, I guess. Because I think especially in the case of a receiver, too, Either way, he can he could also be telling him, "Hey, my system's either going to be at Purdue and it, or it's going to be at Louisville, and you're going to star in it right. either way." Or, but, but I understand what you're saying. But the one, saying. the other
1: thing that Jeff values is his reputation, his right. character. Right? Uh, he he doesn't he doesn't purposely lie. Like yesterday, I don't think he really lied about anything that he answered. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, maybe he didn't provide. He obviously didn't provide. <laughs> the whole truth about right. about stuff, but uh, he values his reputation. He values his character. He va- he values how he's viewed by people because he believes that's a big selling point in recruiting. So, unless he's doing things that are out of character for him, that that's just kind of the situation that it is. I mean, it's just to me, it just strikes me as it's just one of those things that you. You probably need to pay attention to a little bit, yeah. But where where this ends, you know, will ultimately determine what what that little episode was.
0: But the, these these are also situations where things unfold a little messily, anyway, just by their nature. You've got you know, especially when one school has already fired somebody during the season. The reason you do that in part is so that you can start reaching out. Not maybe directly to the coaches, but through their intermediaries, gauging interest, setting groundwork it's It's going to be a little sloppy regardless, and that that hap- and the same thing holds true potentially for Purdue if it tries to go get someone to replace Jeff Brom. You kind of have to do its best for you well
1: you you can you can come up with a theory that the reason uh Louisville made the move when it did is that it has it has already had back channel conversations with Jeff. Or his or someone else. Is, or probably somebody else to say, okay Or, or even another coach. It may right, not be Jeff Rombin. right But they've had back channel conversations say, okay, if we if we you know, if we make a move, how interested are you in our position? And maybe that was part if you know, that's a that's a theory you can that is that could could be true. But yeah, based on uh everything that happened at western Kentucky where he said he didn't talk to he didn't Personally, talked to Purdue until after his season was over. Mm-hmm. You would expect the same things now, but right. that doesn't mean there aren't things. I mean, because all these, you know, the Louisville AD, uh, uh, Vince Tyra, Vince Tyra yeah. uh, Jeff Brom's agent slash friend, Sean uh, Freibert, Jeff Brom—they all went to Trinity. <laughs> they all know each other. Right. They all played sports against each other or with each other. So they, uh, there's there's a big old circle of of life right there that they, they all know. So you can't ignore the fact that these conversations are probably going on to, to the simple question that Vince would ask Sean, what will it take to get Jeff Brom to Louisville, you know, financially. Right. And here's what we can afford. What do you want? And then they, they go from there. Uh, and then, then they, they've, then they, it's, it all gets figured out from there. And, um, and not, you know, not to say that he's going or he's staying because I don't think anybody really knows yet, but all these things that are, are going to happen, to, in, in part to keep the distraction away from, from Jeff as he is trying to prepare his team to win two more games, um, and out of a courtesy to, you know, Purdue as well, that you just don't want to be hijacking their coach um,
0: to you know, in the at, the, at the end of their season when they're trying to win something. Well, and as you were talking before about, you know, reputation and integrity, you don't want to be the guy who's known as the guy who had one foot out the door and didn't finish off just the job that's in front of you this season. Cause that does kind of linger. There's been other situations, other jobs, other sports and not just in Purdue, necessarily Purdue history, but just throughout college sports where you've seen that sort of thing happen. And it, it, it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths and, I don't. Th- I think you're right. I think that's not how he wants to go out. And more than that, he's just a competitor, and they want to win these games. Um, but back so, to Wisconsin. But anyway, well, again, even if they, even if none of this were, ahead, even if Bobby Petruno were still sitting there squirting lighter fluid into that dumpster <laughs> fire on this weekend, Purdue would still have a lot going on this week because they just went up and played the worst game that they've played in two years under Jeff Brom. I think everyone was. I'm not shocked that they lost to Minnesota necessarily, but the way that they lost and the way that that game unfolded, and you've written a lot about that. I don't know how much of it we need to rehash, but there was already going to be you know, if that happened, well, it kind of did. I mean, it happened in week two, where they played a really poor game in a lot of areas against Eastern Michigan and lost a game they shouldn't have. But there, but they had got, a
1: chance to win that one.
0: And they, they did have a chance <laughs> to win it, but they, you also had a, you could also had a lot of season ahead of you. To build back to where they got to. You don't have that now. You've got two games left. You need to win at least one of them if you want to play in a bowl game. And this is a, a you were talking about the distraction before that seems to kind of get amplified a little bit just because of what they have to put behind them. On the field and turn around and play. I know Wisconsin's diminished, but Wisconsin's also not a, a bottom feeder in college football. They're going to come in here with a lot with some really talented guys and thinking, you know, they've got some things they want to accomplish with their season too. And winning this game helps them do that. It does, and, and but
1: Purdue should match up well with them. But I think I do think uh, the loss at has is is a bit was a big deal last week. You, you, you try not to. Emphasize it too much because in a thirty-one point game, there's a lot of contributions to that. Not only on the defensive side, but the inability of the offense to really do anything. You know, they had sixty-eight yards in the first half total. That's I haven't seen that in a long time. Right, and that played a big role in in what happened Uh, on Saturday. Was the this the ineffective uh, ineffective play? Uh, of the of the offense, but you know Purdue's now going to have a few more days to get ready for Wisconsin without Jacob Thienemann, um, and he, he, you're replacing him with another Thienemann, but he's not the same Thienemann. And you're also trying to get a true freshman in there, Corey Trice, uh, which I think the goal was last week to get him more playing time, but the goal was also to be ahead. <laughs> right, when you right. got him that right. that playing time, and it never they never got ahead, and um, and and that that was you know it was just it's the worst game that has happened since 2016 for this program. There's just there's no question about it, and there's really not any need to spend any more time with it. But you have to come, you know, you have to be able to put that behind you now, and with everything else swirling around the program, you got to be ready to. To, to play a, a, a good Wisconsin team, not a great Wisconsin team, but a good Wisconsin team to try to become bowl eligible. Because I, I just don't know if you want to go to the Indiana week with still
0: five wins. No, no, I don't think you do. You then it, because Indiana is going to p- very potentially be in that same situation. They will be because they play Michigan. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, barring a huge upset on their part, they're going to also be playing for their season in that last game. Right. And um, that's worked out. In the past, for Purdue, you know they've won that game, but I don't think you want that. To, you know, the more times you do it, eventually you're going to come out on the wrong side. You got to go down there and, right. but,
1: but you know Purdue has some challenges on Saturday just because they always have you know, Wisconsin always has a good offensive line, and Purdue's undersized up front. They they struggle to get pressure with their first four guy their, or their front four. So you're going to have to try to get some some pressure from elsewhere. You're going to have to stop Jonathan Taylor, best running back in the Big Ten. You know, one of the top ones in the country. He rushed for 200 yards against Purdue last year, Uh, so they, you know, they have their hands full from that standpoint. But I do think offensively, Purdue can take take advantage of some uh, some situations with their defense. They they've been banged up and just ineffective in their play in the secondary uh, most of the year. And you would have to think that uh, that Jeff Brom and David Blau, along with Rondell Moore, is going to be able to find some openings uh, in that in that secondary, but You've got to give David some time. Um, you know, I thought last week David um, was trying to throw the ball in places that that were hard. He like made it harder on himself than what he what he needed to. That was just that was my view from the uh, sixth floor of, yeah. the, <laughs> of the of the press box. It is it is like most throws, not all of them. Most you know a lot of his throws were just okay. Let's see if I there's two guys around Isaac Zico, but let me throw it high and see if he can jump and get it. Well, at that point, if you're going to do that, then just check down to your running back. Uh, And I know Jeff has tried to get David out of being the check down guy all the time. But there are are times when it would. right? And David talks about it a lot. Just take what the defense gives you. And I I didn't feel like they were. Yes, the whole aggressive thing is, is it happened and it's real and that's how Purdue got back in into a, a good season is that they, they took more shots down the field, but you also have to be smart and you also have to know when to be aggressive and know when to, uh, you know, take those shots. But also, it, you know, Purdue didn't have the ball a whole lot in that game against Minnesota in part because they were going three and out and they couldn't establish a running game early. And I do think Jeff has a habit of abandoning the run uh, no, too early in games. You know their first run was nine yards by D.J. Knox, and right. they didn't throw. Then they the, threw four straight passes. Yeah, was, then they didn't run the ball again until the next series, like after six straight passes. Right, and then they were three and out. And I do think he gets away from it uh, too quickly. Uh, and you know they've had a lot of success running the ball, in a, in a lot of their games. And but a lot of that has come late when they've had a lead. And he's right; they need to get out to a lead. They need they. It's not meant to sound stupid, but Purdue plays much better with a lead than trying to come from behind. I mean, it's just some teams are good at coming from behind, but other teams are not and for whatever reason this Purdue team doesn't do well when it gets behind early. We saw that at Michigan State, even though they were tied at 3-3, 6-6, and then you know, saw it on um on Saturday at Minnesota they get, you know got behind 10-3 and then
0: 17-3 and or whatever it was and they could just could not come back. Well, and and, and I think part a lot of it is comes down to offense because you know i know you don't necessarily like the bend but don't break term but this is a this is a pliable defense right. it, it gives up oh. yards between the 20s oh, yeah. between the 30s whatever and then has a tendency to, to step up and and make its share of plays or more than share plays sometimes in the red zone that's what that that formula has worked in a lot of cases this year for this defense but the thing about bend but don't break is you can't keep bending it over and over and over again. And when the, when the offense isn't coming through, it's just putting that much more pressure, putting the defense in so many, you know, disadvantageous situations. Yeah. And sooner or later, even a team like Minnesota is going to break one, um, and, and then they break two, and then now all of a sudden, your back's against the wall, especially when you're on the road. Right. No, they, I just don't like the term bend or don't break, but that's who this defense is.
1: I mean, that's, yeah. as we've stated many times, that they're going you know, to they give up yards, they're going to give up points. Uh, but you need your offense to, to keep pace. And the offense didn't keep pace uh, on Saturday. And in you know, reality, defense gave up 35 points, which is a lot. But that same defense
0: also gave up 36 points to Iowa, and you won the game. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my point. You know, <laughs> yeah. That was my point to the Michigan State. I know people were, were upset with the way that the, they thought the, the corners played a little um, soft or whatever and their coverage at Michigan State. And my whole point was, but they still they, – they should have won the, that game. They, they, the defense played well enough for them to win that game, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, they did. But. I know they had to play better because Michigan State's defense was better. Right. But I think, you know, it, as we talked about, that was a 16-13 game, essentially. That's a game that your, your defense has put you in position. Well, away. and
1: if you're Purdue against that Minnesota defense, I don't care if they change coordinators or not. You can't just get 10 points. you can't I mean, get well and you' essence, gave seven the other way. right and you, you have three points you know you they reel off 38 straight points while you don't score anything right and that's and that's that's bad. and that was bad for them and you know people have asked me, well, it's just how, how do they handle the cold? I go, well, Purdue got really cold when it was 13 to three and 20
0: to three. Minnesota didn't seem cold, right When you get behind, you get cold. Yeah, I, I, the cold to me is, is the is the weakest excuse you could come up with. I'm sorry, this is Big Ten football. It's played outside. I don't care if some of these guys are from Florida and Texas and, and whatever. They've been here in Purdue for a few years. They you, know what cold is You could about. see Purdue get cold when they got behind. And, oh, you know, I, I I agree that it did affect them, and I think it was – Well, it mentally affected them.
1: Right. It mentally affected them, and they were not a mentally strong team last week, which is something that we we've come to expect from – from Jeff Brom's team that they they may get beat in some games but they do fight they do they stay in there mentally even though physically they have some limitations and so I think that was just one of these games where it just all it all went by the wayside quickly and it unraveled right well, before but, their eyes but
0: some of what we saw was reminiscent of what we were seeing in the early weeks of this season also, when Purdue was yeah. in, in closer games that they couldn't win because they were making really stupid penalties, that, and those are the kind of things that either get hidden or just don't really happen when you're beating Illinois forty five to seven or whatever. There's no, you know, those. It's, it's it's funny how personal fouls don't tend to happen in games where you're up by 30 points, right? <laughs> but but then when, when a frustrating point happens or whether these these the more tension that's in a game, sometimes the more likely those things are to happen. And and in those games this year, no, they've, it's, they've it's happened repeatedly. They failed.
1: And they failed, and it reared its ugly head. And teams know that they, they can get under the, the skin of Cornell Jones, and they can get under the skin of some of those players because they're going to react. I mean, sure. Cornell Jones had to get up off the ground, walk a few steps, and headbutt a Minnesota player. <laughs> so this was not a, just a knee-jerk emotional reaction. Right, this crime was, of passion.
0: Yeah, this was, uh,
1: okay, I'm going to get up, I'm going to walk over here, I'm going to headbutt somebody. It was
0: premeditation. <laughs> yes,
1: and and that's up to me. That's that's a captain's thing now, where he just and if you got if
0: you got a city and you got to bite the bullet. Well, honestly, I mean, after this happened in those first couple of games of the year, Jeff Brom said, you know, guys are going to come out. There's going to be accountability. He, he, he came out, but but who do you put back in? Who like, do you who, well? Yeah, but you're still trying to win the game. You're
1: trying to win the game, but you know, at that point, you probably just have to send the message. That you're just you're not going to play him, um, and he, you know he may not start this week. That may be part of the message as well. But if you're going to be Wisconsin, you need him on the field. There's a tricky balance there, well, especially also, without Jacob Thieneman, yeah. I say Jeff Brom got on the sportsman like, and he didn't bench himself. That's
0: true. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> but I mean, that's you know this that's what I'm saying. Between between all of that, having to they have to kind of reverse all the, a lot of those things that happened at Minnesota, and then all of this outside speculation going on this week. I mean, this yeah. is a big week of mental challenges for it, is. This program. it is.
1: It is. It's probably the biggest challenge this program has faced in a long, long time. Basketball coming up this weekend. They're headed to South Carolina to play in some uh, pre-holiday tournament, I the guess. The Charleston
0: Classic, <laughs> yes. They, uh, they play Appalachian State on Thursday, uh, winner of that game uh, or the loser of that game. They'll play either uh, uh, Davidson or Wichita State after that on the other side of the bracket um I, everyone assumes probably Virginia Tech is the team that comes out of that side or maybe Alabama but um as we saw last year in the Bahamas sometimes these things do not go according to chalk <laughs> and uh or according to expectations um and so I, I think that's a um you know as last year that trip was supposed to be kind of a, a not a not a coming out party because people already knew Purdue was going to be good but that was their chance to you know they were going to get on the same floor as as a team like Arizona and play in the championship game, and it was going to be a big spotlight game, and they were going to that was going to be their chance to really announce how good they were. And instead, they end up playing Arizona for seventh place. Now they they beat the crap out of them, but it definitely took some luster off of that whole experience for Purdue. Nobody noticed because it was a seventh place game, <laughs> right? And and now in retrospect, we found out Western Kentucky and Tennessee are pretty good basketball teams. Um, that, that, that Tennessee team that Purdue lost to last year. And I don't think Purdue played especially well in some aspects of that game, especially just in terms of things like mental toughness. But, um, that Tennessee team that was the, the nucleus of the team that is right now, one of the top 10 teams in the country. So depending on who you ask. So I, this year it's, it's a little bit different because Purdue still, even though they're two and Oh, and they've done some good things, they've answered some of the questions we might've had about them. Um, it's it's going to be a ramp up in competition it's going to be a ramp up in um spotlight and and just the challenge that there is playing three games in four days and I I think we'll know more about this team at the end of the week I don't think this team necessarily has to win a trophy in Charleston to come out of it feeling like they progressed and learned a lot this is you know last year the losses that they took there in a weird way kind of Sort of like with football starting going 3 this year, that bump in the road last year kind of set them off on the path of that long winning streak and being in position to maybe win a Big Ten title, all those things. It sort of was a weird catalyst. I don't necessarily see that same dynamic at play this year. I think it's more about Purdue going there and just continuing to learn more about itself, learn how to play together, get better in certain aspects of the game. Improve itself against other good teams. We still don't really know yet how good this team is. Obviously, if they won a title or, or a championship in the tournament like that, it would be a really positive sign for this team. But it, it there's not necessarily as much at stake in some ways as there was last year.
1: I I, I find this uh, I find now the holiday tournaments are taking on more meaning in my mind. And I know this is a week earlier than what they normally would play a holiday tournament, but now with playing Big Ten games. Uh, in the, the first week of December, along with you know the traditional ACC Big Ten challenge, um, you need these games probably more than ever to get yourself ready for what you're going to see early in the Big Ten. Sure. And I, I, you know, last year they were, you know, there was, you know, and you wrote about it and we talked about it. Just the the the, the early season death march that they were potentially going to be mm-hmm. uh, going to be playing because you were you're playing in the Bahamas against all these. Top teams. Same thing this year, really. And then it? you were going right into uh, an ACC game, and then right into two Big Ten games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was. It was book. when we thought
0: Northwestern was good, so <laughs> right? It <that laughs> turned out not to be quite as as tough. But it's of a still challenge. a Big Ten game, sure. And that's
1: you know you, those those are ramped up regardless of who who you're playing. But now you know you're playing these three games in four days. You're going to get a little bit of a break because I think they just have one game centered around Thanksgiving. Right. And, then and you're it's ju- Robert Morris. Yeah. And then you're jumping into uh, your ACC game. And then you've got a couple big 10 games after that. And I, I more curious now than ever, how, how they, how these, how this tournament kind of prepares them for, for the big Ten. And I, I, and I don't know if coaches now, how much thought they put into these preseason tournaments. Now that they're playing earlier, big 10 games, it's, you know, I think they do want to get challenged. I do think they want to see kind of where they're at at this point of the year, and um, I, and from that standpoint, curious how Purdue plays, but then how do they back that up once they play? Because I think they have what Michigan and Maryland yeah. in the first two yeah. Big Ten games at Michigan home along against with Maryland. The, they yeah, got that Florida State game on the road, right? But how they kind of handle how they handle that stretch after, you know, potentially, you know, I think in the second game they're going to get a good opponent, no matter who they play. And then, you know, maybe you get a right. Virginia Tech on, on on the back end.
0: Yeah, Wichita State's down a little bit. They're not the Wichita State that was, you know, going to Final Fours and, and being a top seed in the tournament all that stuff. But um, still a really good program, a good coach. And and Davidson actually is pretty good this year. I think that would be a really interesting second game for this team to have to get is if they were to go up against a Davidson in the second round and just the kind of things that they can do. Um, it could and, be and, role
1: reversal from like when Purdue played Davidson with Steph Curry a little bit. Now, yeah. now Purdue would have Carson Edwards, Purdue has, the, exactly the new, the new Steph Curry.
0: It's kind of yeah, it is kind of the flip <laughs> side of it. And and you know last year it was just such a pile up. All that was I, I can't remember it was how many games in so few six games in twelve days yeah. or fourteen whatever it was. It was a real just pile up at one point of the season this year, because of just when things fall, it's a little more spread out. Purdue's not playing in the Gavit games where they had to go up to Marquette last year. That's what they would be doing this week. I think if they didn't have this tournament Um, and things are a little more, more spread out that that's a good thing. I think for this team, because this team needs the practice time, the instruction time, the drill time in between games, more than last year's team did to some extent Um, that team had just done been together for so long, had done so much over the summer it was. It didn't. It could. It managed things a little bit differently than what this team can do. This team probably will come out of, um, come back from Charleston and want to get back in the gym soon to work on some things that could very potentially get exposed against the kind of teams they're going to play this week. Um, <clears throat> Carson Edwards, Big Ten Player of the Week this past week. Um and but but I also I thought some of the we know he's going to score points we know he's a really good player I, I thought these first two games some of the other highlights you saw was a nice game from Aaron Wheeler in the second night coming in and he even started the second half after Grady Eifert had gotten in some foul trouble um, he looks like he could you know be ready earlier in the season than 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 we might have originally thought to to handle a pretty a bigger role and what's going on right now with the five is really interesting for Purdue. Um, just the dynamic that they have working between those two guys. But then obviously Nogel Eastern, I, I thought against Ball State, had by far his best game as a college basketball player. And if he can replicate that and you got him in tandem with Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein, this team could be a better perimeter defensive team even than they were last year uh, because just his presence is is so different. If you can have it on the court for 30 minutes, he can he – can, you know, put a lot of pressure on an opposing point guard. He can help take away a wing and those guys that are in between. He, he, there's just a lot of ways he can match up defensively and as a rebounder that really helped Purdue. Uh,
1: yeah. So have fun in warm South Carolina.
0: It should, should be, uh, well, relatively warm. I don't know if it's, it's, it's okay. not Cancun. It's it was, not the Bahamas. But it was snowing in 21 in it, Minnesota on Saturday. <laughs> it will be warmer than that. It will be warmer <laughs> than that. Also, um, people, um, Come to J.C. online in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours because uh, first day of the signing period is tomorrow. Purdue will be uh, signing three players, uh, Isaiah Thompson, Ma- Mason Gillis, and Brandon Newman. Uh, how Where that class grows from there, I don't know. They're obviously still in on Zeke Naji, a, a big man out of Minnesota, but uh, some other really high-profile teams are in on him. Um, we'll see how, how that goes, and, and it could be a thing where Purdue – also, still looks for people in the spring or, or over the winter. Some transfers that come open. So, um, but we'll be covering that over the next 24 hours. I'll be in Charleston later this week. Mike will be on top of Brom watch um, and the game against Wisconsin on Saturday, and then leading into uh, the bucket game try, next
1: week. Try to grab somebody for a uh, a truck podcast or <laughs> or a diner podcast. I thought your, I thought your solo podcast <laughs> w- was really. Uh, I strong. thought about doing it in the car driving back, but then I really didn't know where I was going. Because they closed the major thoroughfare Ooh. in Minneapolis, 35W. Because of the weather? No, no, no. Because oh. they were doing work, maintenance oh, okay, work. So okay. they closed it like from 10 p.m. Friday to 5 a.m. Monday. Oh, so perfect. So the, the, the way I normally would sure. go to Minnesota, because I was staying out by the airport, right. I had to find a different route. I, I allowed my phone to take me there, but they, I went through neighborhoods and all that. And I'm like, okay, I'll just wait till I get back <laughs> to the hotel to do it in my... In my room, but uh, may try to grab somebody and find find Cassie again at Steak and Shake and
0: <laughs> and, uh, and take care of it from there. I'm sure I'm sure somebody there would enjoy a meal on, on, on the J&C and uh, a chance to become a star. Well, I hope they have that. Fi- Minneapolis is my favorite Big Ten city. I love visiting Minneapolis, and I hope they have that fixed by the time Purdue has they to will. be up there in basketball it for. It was, in a, March, a so. it was only a weekend. It was only okay. a weekend there. So. Well, uh, follow him on Twitter if you don't already, at Carmen underscore JC. Follow me at JC. Uh, Find us on iTunes or wherever, subscribe, download, rate us, give us feedback. We appreciate everybody who listens, and we'll be back this weekend, potentially, with uh, a post-game edition of Boilers Extra.